Father, we thank you for this morning that we can gather as your church. We thank you for our time here in your word. Pray that you would open our hearts and our minds, that we would be quick to understand and be able to hear your word, your truth uh, from your inspired word. And Lord, we ask that uh, uh, you would uh, apply the truth that we read and hear today uh, to each heart that's gathered here. And if there's any here that do not know you yet, they haven't trusted you in their Lord and Savior, we do pray that you would um, do that uh, transaction in their own heart, that you would uh, cause them to turn to you, repent of their sin, turn from their sin to you. And Lord, that you would save them. We ask that. And we pray also, Father, for our children as they're dismissed to their classes, that you would bless them, give them a blessed time with their teachers, and, and just uh, uh, minister to us now. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. And all God's people said, amen. 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 All right, kids, you're out of here. You can turn over in your uh, Bibles to First Thessalonians, New Testament book. It's an exciting day today. We're starting a new book. We've never studied this book in, in its entirety before. We've done some messages here and there. But uh, today uh, we're going to be looking at the book of First Thessalonians. And just so you know, today we're just introducing the book, so it's going to be very introductory material you're going to hear. And then uh, I'm going to take about 10 minutes and read through, and you're going to follow along in your Bibles, the entire letter. That's what it was. It was a letter. Uh, so many times we forget that these are letters, and they're meant to be read in one sitting, as lengthy as some of them may be. And so um, we're going to do that at the end, toward the end of the, our time together today. So we probably won't get to the uh, second side of the outline, just so you know. We'll pick that up in uh, a couple weeks when uh, uh, we're back together. And just a reminder, uh, we started our evangelism series on last Wednesday. Uh, this coming Wednesday, uh, we're having uh, Ken Needham, as Ken said, and um, he'll be here Wednesday night, and he's a, a great a teacher, uh, faithful to the Word of God. Him and Eva will be with us. So I pray that you would make a commitment to come out 7 o'clock Wednesday night in the Fellowship Hall and give him a good welcome. And then also on Saturday, men's breakfast, he will be here. Uh, we've moved it up a week for that, and so we're looking forward to him sharing that. And then next Sunday, he'll be sharing, as well as the following uh, Wednesday, I believe. So uh, it's, we're looking forward to God using him. Pray for him and his wife, Eva, as they travel here. But this morning, as you turn to First uh, Thessalonians, um, I kind of gave the overall theme of standing firm, standing firm, because that's one thing that as a church we need to understand that we need to do uh, in the age in which we live. And a lot of times I'm haunted as a pastor by the thought that what if Grace Bible Church disappeared? What if it just disappeared tomorrow? There was no Grace Bible Church. The building was here, but there was no people. <laughs> I mean, one day that will happen, right? The rapture, right, will all be gone. And, and it, what haunts me is this. I wonder um, if anybody would notice or if anybody would miss us. Um, because I don't believe that our church has made the impact that we desire it to make here in our city, here on this peninsula. Um, I, I just wonder if our departure would mean anything to anybody here that's left. Well, we can't say that about the church of Thessalonica, that's for sure. Uh, Paul was very clear. Uh, when it began, 
And we're just going to go through some introductory materials here. But when it began, there was a hostile opposition to Paul and uh, Silas and Timothy uh, when they began their work there. Uh, So much so that uh, the city officials accused him of this in Acts 17.6. The city officials said this, These men who have upset the world have come here also. That was the welcome they got from the Jewish religious community there. These men who have upset the world. And my question is, are we upsetting the world? Are we just going with the flow? (laughs) Because they definitely weren't. The new church in Thessalonica made such an impact, not only in the city there, but also in the, the surrounding area, the surrounding region, that people reported back to Paul the dramatic changes that have happened in these people's lives. They were transformed by the glorious gospel of Christ. Therefore, their communities were completely transformed. In 1 Thessalonians, look at verses 7 to 9. He says, so that you may become an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Acacia. So he, he really used them as an example. He said, if you're looking for a good church, this is it. Verse 8, he says, For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but also your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we don't need to say anything. I mean, people knew about the church in Thessalonica. People heard about the church. He heard about their people. Well, a little bit about the background. The city of of Thessalonica was a very, very popular city in the area of Macedonia there. And it it maintained one of the, the, the region's largest ports. It was their capital city. So it had the, it was on the, the, uh, uh, bay there, the, the uh, uh, Gulf, and it was noted for its hot springs. It had hot springs, and it used to be called uh, Therma until about 315 BC when it was renamed Thessalonica after a half-sister of Alexander the Great, who was the wife of Cassander, one of his generals, and so he named the city after his wife. And it was located in this Gulf in, the, in, in Greece. And it was really the end of a a major trade route uh, that started um, in another region. And and Thessalonica, along with, remember we talked about this with Corinth when we went through the book of Corinthians, we talked about Corinth. They were two of the most important economic centers in, in all the area. So this wasn't a small little podunk town. Okay, this was a big metropolis. Uh, The modern city, they call it Thessalonica today, um, really makes Thessalonica one of the New Testament towns with a continuous history right up to the present day. You can go to this town today, which is pretty amazing if you think about it. And they've unearthed a lot of the the, uh, archaeological digs there have been able to unearth, but because it's built up into such a huge city, it's almost impossible to unearth all of it because it's under where the city is built modern day, today. But it was a thriving city because of its location. It was on what they called the Via Ignatia, a a Rome, Roman highway that connected uh, Rome with Constantinople. And because of its location, it had a special place 
in the heart of Paul because he understood the strategy of planting a church there. He thought, wow, this is like where everybody's coming. This is like the crossroads of the world back then. And so here was this city that was really a bridge, you could say, between the east and the west. And once the gospel Paul understood, once the gospel was planted there, it had a base to reach Rome in the west and all of Asia in the east. So Paul was a real genius when it came to missions. He just didn't wander off in the the wilderness going, "Ah, I don't know where I'm going, you know. No, he had a plan. He had a purpose. And that speaks a lot even to our modern-day missions today, that we need to have a plan and a purpose behind all that we do. And it's good to hear that we're having an impact, right? It's good to hear. Thanks, Sam, for sharing that. Uh, You know, sometimes... You know, you send checks off or, or whatever, and until you actually go to some of these places and meet some of these folks, it doesn't really mean anything, and, and we've had the pleasure to do that over the years, but at the same time, it's good to know that our, even our finances that we send these folks is going to good use. And so the, the coming of the gospel to this, this town, this city, Thessalonica, was, was a crucial event in Paul's missionary strategy to take the gospel to the whole world. That's what he desired to do. And if you look in your Bibles, you can find a map of Paul's missionary journeys. I I was going to put one up, but I didn't get around to it. But you can find it in the back of your Bible somewhere or online. And you can see where he traveled in his his missionary journeys. And one of the places that he came to was Thessalonica. Now, this was a a free city in the Roman Empire. In other words, they didn't have uh, Roman garrisons there. They were kind of free to operate on their own. And so they could even print their own coins. They could print their own money, things like that. And the Apostle Paul evangelized the northern Greece area city during his second and his third missionary journey. So this is when Paul ended up there. As a matter of fact, there's a man by the name of Jason. He was a a Jewish Christian who some believe that he's actually a blood relative uh, of Paul. And they, they, they cite Romans 16.21. But um, this man, Jason, he hosted believers in his home in Thessalonica. Acts chapter 17 tells us. And we'll be reading from Acts chapter 17 in a second here. So if you want to turn over there, go ahead. Acts chapter 17 verses 1 to 9 tells us all about the founding of this church. But the city over the years has survived repeated attacks over the centuries by all kinds of different people. And uh, the Nazis even captured it in 1941. Um, And they then deported or executed most of the 60,000 Jews who were there. So it has a modern-day history as well as an ancient history. And today, even, if you look it up online, uh, Thessalonica, the way they pronounce it, it it remains one of Greece's most important cities. I think it's the second largest next to Athens. It has a population of probably a little bit over 800,000 people. So it's not a small little place we're talking about. And if you turn over to Acts, Acts chapter, uh, one, or chapter 17, Acts chapter 17, and keep your thumb there in, in Thessalonians, and we'll be back to that. But Acts chapter 17 shows us the founding of this church. And I just want to read these verses for us. Uh, and it's really the story of how, how this church got planted. It says in verse 1, Acts 17, verse 1, Now when they had passed through an Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica. 
where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead and saying, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. Pretty bold message to a group of Jews who were gathered there. Um, Verse 4, and some of them were persuaded. So some of them actually came to faith in Christ. Some of them were persuaded, it says, and joined Paul and Silas, or Silvanus is his other name, as did many of the great of the uh, devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women. So you had men, women coming to Christ when they were exposed to the gospel. Verse five, but the Jews were jealous, and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, who was Paul, the, the person who was hosting Paul seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, these men who have turned the world upside down have now come here also. And Jason has received him. And they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar. And then look at what it says, saying that there is another king, Jesus. Well, at least they got that right. They understood the message that Paul was presenting to them. Verse 8, And the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money as security from Jason, kind of like a bail, and the rest, they let them go. So Paul first came to Thessalonica on his second missionary journey. And after traveling across Asia Minor to the region known as Mysia there, uh, the apostle and his, his entourage there reached, uh, they say, an impasse. And they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit, the scriptures tell us, to preach in the province of Asia. They wanted to go to Asia, but no, they couldn't do that. And their attempt to turn north into Bithynia was similarly blocked. So God was directly leading the apostle Paul during this time. They weren't just out there willy-nilly running around the countryside trying to share the gospel with people. They prayed, and the Holy Spirit said, nope, I don't want you going there. Nope, I don't want you going there. And with no other way to proceed, uh, we, we know that they went to Troas, which is a city on the Aegean Sea. And then, miraculously, God spoke to Paul in Acts 16, verses 6 to 10, and uh, gave him a vision. And he, Paul saw a vision from the Lord, of a Macedonian imploring him to come to his province and preach the gospel. So uh, sometimes that would be so easy if that happened today, right? We we believe the canon's closed, so God doesn't really do all that today. But as far as direct revelation, I mean, we have all the revelation we're going to get through the word of God. Uh, We can't be adding to it. But it, it would make things a little easier, you know, if I'm here in my office and all of a sudden... God tapped me on the shoulder. Hey, there's a guy at Key Market right now. He's, he's, he's in the store, and he, he really needs the Lord, and he's going to be open when you go down and share the Lord with him. Wouldn't that be neat? It's like, well, I'd, I'd beeline it down there. Where is this guy, you know? And then they come to Christ. I mean, that's, that's really what they were living. They were living this out. It's very exciting. And so what they did is they crossed the Aegean Sea. They came to a little town called Philippi, where Paul's fearless preaching of the gospel um, basically began to spark a riot. He upset everybody. He ticked off everybody. And as a result, he and Silas were seized. They were beaten. 
they were placed in stocks in the city jail. Now, you know this story. We've talked about this previously, but God miraculously uh, released them, remember the story from jail, with an earthquake. They were literally in jail in stocks, and God caused an earthquake to come upon the, the jail, and they were broken loose, and as a result, the jailer came to faith in Christ. I mean, God works in mysterious ways, does he not? Who would have thought that a trial, like being thrown in jail, would result in something like somebody's, somebody being saved? You know, God always has a purpose in our suffering. He always does. Either it's to make us better, to make us more committed to him, to keep us more dependent on him, or it may be to bring someone else to faith. So don't, don't shirk off the suffering when it comes. Don't, don't you know, overact, overreact to it, but embrace it and say, Lord, I know this must be from your hand or it wouldn't be here. And, and here Paul is in prison, but God uses them in a wonderful way. And uh, horrified at the realization <laughs> that the jailers and, and everybody that was in authority there had beaten Roman citizens because they didn't know they were Roman citizens without the benefit of a trial, which is very, very serious. That's like basically going out in the street and hanging somebody without anybody saying they're guilty. Um, plus, because they were a Roman citizen, they had certain privileges granted to them that other people didn't. Um, the magistrates basically... We just wanted to get rid of the evidence. So what did they do? They, they begged Paul and Silas to get out of town. Just leave Philippi. Look, guys, we're just going to release. You're already released from jail supernaturally. That's kind of weird. We've never seen anything like this happen. And now the jailer is, is following your way of beliefs. And you know what? I think it's best you just leave. And so what must have been a very excruciatingly painful journey if you think about it, they were just beaten up. They've been in stocks. They don't treat you very well in jail. So now these battered preachers make a 100-mile journey. Think about this. 100 miles along the Ignatian Way there toward Thessalonica. They say, let's, let's go to this big city up there. And they apparently spent the night. Um, we know this because Acts kind of gives us a trail of where they went. Um, spent the night in, in, in Phippolis and then again in Apollonia. Um, they didn't preach in those cities because there was no Jewish synagogues there. And that was Paul's first thing. He'd go into an area and he would preach in the synagogue first because that was his background. And so the church there was predominantly Gentile and its beginnings were not without trouble. But the activities here in this local synagogue did everything they could when Paul arrived there to destroy this, this work uh, in, in Philippi. They didn't want anything to do with it. But, so they made their way to Thessalonica, and um, you know, they founded a church there. Uh, the Bible says that he went and he began to preach and teach in the synagogues, and he did so for three Sabbath days. Now, some people say, well, he was only there three weeks. Well, we don't believe that to be true because he talks about um, support from other churches coming to him while he was there. He talks about having uh, a job while he was there on the side. So he, he could have been there for three weeks, but he was probably more likely to be there for several months, six months, something like that. 
And he may have only taught in the synagogue three weeks till they realized, wait a minute, this guy, yeah, we know he's a, a Pharisee. We know that he was taught by Gamaliel and all these people. And, you know, he, they wanted him to speak at first. Wow, we got this guest speaker until he started to speak. And when he started to speak the truth of the gospel, the, the Jewish religious leaders really had a hard time with what he was saying. Um, it says that he explained and gave evidence that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, saying, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. So this is the Messiah, the guy that you guys killed. That's the Messiah. Um, and so they didn't like that. And as a result of that, some of the, the Jewish religious leaders, rather than do it themselves, it says they kind of persuaded, a, uh, along with probably a lot of other, other uh, unbelievers, uh, a mob, and um, they, they caused some problems there. But um, several of the religious leaders, several of the, the, the Gentiles and, and even the women there came to Christ, the Bible says. So it's important that we understand that's kind of the, the founding of the church there. And Paul, you know, this was a special thing. If you go to a city and you, you, you plant a church, you know, that, that, there's a special attachment to those people. You know, you can't just um, just abandon them, right? You can't just leave. And so he was really there investing himself, and, and Silas and Timothy was there with him too, but they were there investing themselves in these people. So whether he was there for a couple of weeks or a couple of months, it doesn't really matter. The, the point is, is that he was there to invest in them. And... Um, you know, unfortunately, it was just a, 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 a unfortunate kind of a situation to where, um, you know, they they found that that Paul um, was preaching a message that didn't go along with what they with what they believed, and um, you know, we know that there was a growing. Gentile population in Thessalonica because in verse 9 it says he talks about them turning uh, and having their lives transformed and he mentions he says and how you turn from God from to God from idols well Jews would not worship idols that was like totally against their their religion so he's talking there about Gentiles and so it not only reached the, the Jewish community in Thessalonica but he was also reaching out to Gentiles and Paul expressed a, a real heartfelt thanks for all their conversions and, and how they've been transformed. And um, so what happens is Paul basically uh, moves on and um, he's rejoined after he had moved on to Corinth. And this, by the way, is one of the first letters that Paul wrote in the New Testament. So that, that's kind of an important point to make. And um, when he, after he had moved, established this church and moved on, the Lord moved him on to Corinth, um, Timothy brought some good news about these believers in Thessalonica, but he also brought some concerns. Paul went on, he moved on, he established a church, he moved on as was his custom, and Timothy went back to check on him because he kind of, you know, I'm sure Paul sent them and felt, hey, you know what? I want to know how these guys are doing. You know, he was concerned. Um, and, and so Timothy 
sent news. He brought good news about the believers in Thessalonica, but he also brought some concerns. And um, so Paul sent him, you know, back to check on him, and Timothy responded with that. And uh, within about six months after he heard that response from Timothy, we believe that Paul wrote this first letter, and then probably Second Thessalonians was written a few months later. Um, now, Paul was uh, incredible in his message to them. He was concerned because some of the Thessalonians were experiencing ongoing persecution, like they did under these Jewish uh, leaders, religious leaders, and so he wanted to... Um, you know, care for them that way. But he was also concerned because Paul or Timothy brought back a message that, you know, that, that, he, that the Jews were telling the church there, hey, you know what, Paul abandoned you. You know, here, he found the church. Now, where is he? Oh, it got too hot, so he just, he doesn't care about you. And, you know, they were, they were questioning his motives and, and his conduct and all this stuff. And we'll begin to see as we read through the letter, Paul has to defend himself at one point. He comes to a point where he says, hey, you know what? That's not true. You know, I tried to come, but the, I couldn't. You know, the Holy Spirit prevented me from returning. And uh, he wanted to make sure more than anything that these believers in this church would stand firm on the truth that he taught them. And that's the major concern for any pastor, for any elder, that their church stays true to the message of the gospel. Right? I mean, you can change the color of the carpet. You can change the lights, and you can even change the music, for goodness sake. Do not, do not message with God, mess with God's message. You know, that's always a, a hard thing to hear when you, you move on. I haven't been in a lot of churches. I think I've, I've been in four churches, all as a youth pastor. But when you hear, after a period of time, whoa, a church has kind of gone south. You know, it breaks your heart. Or it's even no more. It doesn't exist anymore. That's happened. Uh, you know. But he wanted to make sure that they stand firm. And um, you know, Timothy also had to report to him, hey, there's, there's some folks there in Thessalonica that got the message. You, know, you talked about the Lord coming back. And they're all excited about it. They're so excited. Guess what, Paul? They quit their jobs. They're not able to support their families anymore. Because they think the Lord's coming back like tomorrow. And, you know, it was this pie-in-the-sky theology that got a hold of them. And they really thought that, ah, there's, there's no need. We're just going to sit around and wait for him to return. And so a lot of people, when they teach through the book of Thessalonians, they think, oh, it's all about the Lord's return. Well, that's part of it. But it's really just a simple letter to a church expressing Paul's concern for what they were going through. And... Um, you know, they had a lot of confusion when it came to the last times. And so Paul has to dial down, and we're going we're gonna to get to those chapters eventually, and you'll see what he's talking about there. And by the way, just so we're clear, you know, people say, well, do you think we're in the last days, the last times? Look, we've been living in the last times since Jesus ascended. We've been in the last times for thousands of years. Okay, just so you understand, I mean... In an eschatological fashion, that's, that's the last times. From the time Christ leaves to the time he returns, that's all the last times. Now, obviously, we're probably most likely getting closer to a day when he will return. If there's a day in the future he'll return, and, you know, tomorrow will be one day closer. But when that will be, who knows? 
And so after their unceremonious departure from Thessalonica, Paul and Silas were given a a warm greeting in Berea, a town south of there. And um, unfortunately, these hotheads from Thessalonica followed them. And so they they created the same problems wherever Paul went. They just followed him around and, and really became a irritant in all that. And the next stop was Athens for Paul, and they had a, a greater climate for evangelism there and a little more easier ministry. And it was when he was in Athens, he sent for Timothy and, and Silvanus, and they probably remained in Berea. Uh, some believe that uh, Silas went back to Philippi to check on that church on the way, whatever. But they kind of regrouped, and they were back together once again. And by the time Timothy returned from Thessalonica, Paul had moved to Corinth, and now uh, the report received by Paul was good news and bad news. And so that's the, the basically origin of this. We know that Paul wrote this letter, right? He, he says so uh, several times in verse 1, verse, chapter 2, verse 18. He includes himself in, in this um, uh, letter that he wrote. And whether Silvanus and Timothy helped him write it, uh, that could be, but clearly he was the apostle. He was the one that God was moving through. Maybe they wrote the words down for him, some believe, but it was, it was clearly God working through him as an apostle. Uh, what's interesting is when you read this letter, and we're going to read it here in a, in a minute, um, he, you don't see Paul, an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. It just says, Paul. <laughs> He leaves that out, and, and that's a whole it's an interesting, um, interesting reason why he does that. But a lot of people believe that this was uh, penned by Paul from Corinth around 50 or 51 A.D., and so this is one of the first letters that Paul penned to a church as an apostle. And um, so with that being said, I want you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians, and we're going to take about, probably take about 10 minutes. And we're going to read through this letter. And then uh, next time together we'll get into uh, the introduction there. But First Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, Silvanus, Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God, the Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word but also in power, in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you received the word with much affliction, with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. And not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but also your Your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, 
Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Chapter 2, for you also, uh, for you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain, but we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi. And you know we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others. Though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ, but we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and our toil, we worked night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you, while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct among you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And we also thank God constantly for this. That when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God and Christ that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as did from the Jews who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displease God and oppose all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved. So as always to fill up the measure of their sins. But wrath has come upon them at last. But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time in person, not in heart, we endeavor the more eagerly with great desire to see you face to face, because we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, again and again. But Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before the Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Chapter 3. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone, and we sent Timothy, our brother, and God's co-worker, co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and to extort you in your faith, that no one be moved from these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction, just as it has come to pass, and just as you know. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith, for fear that someone, or that, for fear that somehow the tempter 
had tempted you, and our labor would be in vain. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. For this reason, brothers, in all of our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live. If you are standing firm, standing fast in the Lord, For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you? For all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God, as we pray most earnestly night and day, that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you, so that we may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all of the saints. Chapter 4, finally then, brothers, brothers, we ask and we urge you in Lord Jesus, in the Lord Jesus, that you received from us how you ought to walk and please and to please God, just as you are doing that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this manner, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, As we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more, and to aspire to live quietly, and to mind your own affairs, and to work with your hands as we instructed you, so that you may properly, you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. But we don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep or dead, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by the word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the cry of command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. 
Chapter 5. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and there is security, then suddenly destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of the light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness, so let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live for him. Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another, just as you were doing. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and who are over you in the Lord and admonish you to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. We urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless, At the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, he who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Father, we thank you for this book that we're about to embark on. We thank you that it is your truth, that these are words penned by the Apostle Paul, but inspired by your spirit. And Lord, it's a glorious thing to read through the scriptures together as a congregation and see firsthand the very letter that Paul gave this church at Thessalonica. And so, Lord, we pray that you would, in the coming weeks, prepare our hearts for all that we'll learn, that we'll grow together as the body of Christ that you'll use the words of these pages to convict hearts, to correct behavior, to admonish us, to edify us, to build us up as a church. Lord, we're excited because we get to study your word together. And Father, we pray that you would just uh, uh, bless our time as well across the way after our service here today, our fellowship, bless the food to our bodies. And Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here for the first time and hasn't trusted Christ hasn't yet put their faith and trust in Christ, I pray that today might be the day that they cry out to you, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Save me from my sin. 
And Father, if they make that decision, I pray that they'd let somebody know so we could get them some materials to be able to help them to grow in their, their newfound faith. And Lord, as believers, we pray as we go out into this lost and dying world that we would take the message of the gospel with us, both on our lips and in our life, that we would live a life that's exemplary of you, that people would see it and wonder and desire that faith that we possess. And we ask all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Let's close with one last song, and then we'll head over across the way.